two subjects come up fairly often on retreats, pain and suffering. (laughs) This retreat is no exception. Pain hurts. It's, It's that simple. It hurts. And the First Noble Truth reminds us that there is suffering. These are basic facts of human life. Suffering is one of the things that we're confronted with when we sit down to meditate on retreat. Even if we're physically healthy, once we start holding the body in the same position for meditation period after meditation period, it starts to hurt. Right? Yeah. And when we turn our mindful attention to our inner world, when we open the door of our minds and hearts, it's inevitable inevitable that some unwelcome visitor is going to show up. It's inevitable that whatever emotional pain we carry in our lives will come knocking on the door, asking to be let in so that it can be known. How do we deal with this pain? What does the practice have to offer us in dealing with it? In the Sangyutta Nikaya, chapter 36, Sutta 6, the Buddha says, Suppose they were to strike a man with a dart, and then they would strike him immediately afterwards with a second dart, so that the man would feel a feeling caused by two darts. So too, when the uninstructed worldling is being contacted by painful feeling, he sorrows, grieves, and laments. He weeps, beating his breast and becomes distraught. He feels two feelings, a bodily one and a mental one. Does this sound familiar? Is this the way you react when you experience pain? I do. Maybe not quite as dramatically as beating my breast and all of that, but sometimes, sometimes. The sutta goes on. Being contacted by that same painful feeling he harbors aversion towards it. Being contacted by a painful feeling, he seeks delight in sensual pleasure. For what reason? 
because the uninstructed worldling does not know of any escape from painful feeling other than sensual pleasure. Isn't this what we do throughout the day, most of our lives? At least maybe it's what we did before we started learning to meditate with our experience. But even now, we're sitting still, a discomfort arises in the body it may not even rise to the level of awareness. But we respond by moving, by changing position, by itching the itch, and so forth. This simple sequence is an attempt to find a pleasant sensual experience to replace the painful one. And of course, to some extent, our consumer culture is built around finding just about any kind of sensual distraction that we can think of to distract us from these painful feelings from the painful feelings of living in these human bodies and minds. The sutta goes on. He does not understand, as it really is, the origin and the passing away, the gratification, the danger, and the escape in the case of these feelings. This not understanding is ignorance, which of course Shyla spoke of last night. So what is the danger? The pleasant feelings that we are seeking to replace the unpleasant don't last. They're impermanent. And because they don't last, we end up being addicts. We're addicts searching for the next hit of pleasant to try to make the unpleasant go away. And when that pleasant moment ends, it's unpleasant to have the pleasant end. And so then we go searching for another moment of pleasant. We know, at least when it comes to other people, probably especially those who are searching for the pleasant in alcohol or drugs, we know that for other people, looking for the next fix, the next hit of pleasant, isn't a very good solution. It inevitably leads to another one, and another one, and another one, 
on into infinity and to all kinds of suffering. But most of us don't see this quite so clearly when it comes to ourselves. So we experience pain, we try to make it go away, and inevitably we suffer. I had my first really strong experience of this on the first meditation retreat I attended. It was a weekend, non-residential, Zen retreat. The instructions were quite simple. Sit on those cushions in a half lotus position if you're not able to sit in full lotus. So, you know, with one foot up on the opposite thigh and then the other foot kind of folded underneath in some way. So that was instruction number one. Follow your breath. And this seemed most important. Don't move at all until the bell rings. Well, I, I had had a daily practice for a couple of years and had been sitting with a group on a weekly basis for much of that time. And I thought, oh, well, you know, this retreat shouldn't be so difficult. But during the sitting in the middle of the afternoon on the first full day, my knees felt on fire, and they were screaming about it. My butt was sore and burning. That soft cushion that I had picked out for myself in the morning had somehow turned to rock. And my back was aching. And these thoughts kept arising. Isn't it time for him to ring the bell? Why isn't he ringing the bell? Did he fall asleep? I'm sitting here dying and he fell asleep. He's extended the sitting without even telling us. And it went on and on. Aversion turned into hate, which turned into paranoia and rage. And if thoughts were able to kill, the bell ringer would have been dead a hundred times. Not only was my body in pain, but my mind and heart were suffering. 
And then the bell rang. And the suffering disappeared, although my body continued to ache. I didn't appreciate it at the time, but it was a very clear, though totally unintentional, teaching on the difference between pain and suffering, and how aversion to pain and desire for a pleasant experience can lead to suffering. In some ways, this basic pattern of trying to escape pain by seeking the pleasant just seems fundamental to being human, doesn't it? Our world really seems to revolve around this. But the Buddha suggests that we have an alternative. When the instructed noble disciple is contacted by a painful feeling, she does not sorrow, grieve, or lament. She does not weep, beating her breast and becoming distraught. She feels one feeling, a bodily one, not a mental one. This doesn't mean that the instructed noble disciple just sucks it up and acts tough. We all know that doesn't really work, at least not in the long run. The sutta tells us, being contacted by that same painful feeling, she harbors no aversion towards it. Being contacted by painful feeling, she does not seek delight in sensual pleasure. For what reason? Because the instructed noble disciple knows of an escape from painful feeling other than sensual desire, sensual pleasure. Well, this path of practice is built on the idea of letting go of sensual forms of happiness by finding more and more refined forms of happiness to replace the sensual happiness. It's a practical approach. We aren't asked to let go of craving for sensual pleasures all at once. We're asked to gradually find other forms of happiness that lead us away from craving and lead us to the happiness of a peaceful mind and heart. In the Itivutaka, one of the earlier collections of the Buddha's teachings, we find the Buddha saying, one should train in deeds of merit that yield long-lasting happiness, generosity, a balanced life, developing a mind of goodwill. By cultivating these three things, deeds yielding happiness, 
The wise person is reborn in bliss, in an untroubled, happy world. Practicing generosity, virtuous behavior, working with the precepts. And metta, goodwill. They do bring pleasant, wholesome feelings. Perhaps you've noticed this in your own practice, in your own lives. The tradition recommends that we recollect our own acts of virtue. It's a support for the factor of faith, and it brings forth wholesome, pleasant feelings. Wholesome, pleasant feelings that we can rely on rather than turning to pleasant, sensual feelings. In another place in the Sangyuta Nikaya, the Buddha points to an even more refined form of pleasure, of happiness. This concentration by mindfulness of breathing, when developed and cultivated, is peaceful and sublime, an ambrosial, pleasant dwelling. And it disperses and quells right on the spot evil, unwholesome states whenever they arise. An ambrosial, pleasant dwelling. Sounds pretty good, don't you think? It's a lot better than pain. Of course, we have to be pretty concentrated to experience the ambrosial pleasant dwelling. But still, there is a pleasantness that comes with the mind that becomes more settled, more unified, more focused. At this point in the retreat, I suspect all of us have had some experience of that. And so concentration is another tool that can help us to deal with the pain of life. Another tool to help us find a more wholesome form of happiness. But in the discourse on the dart, the Buddha pointed to an even more subtle form of happiness. The happiness that comes as a degree of equanimity is established. He said, if she feels a pleasant feeling, she feels it detached. If she feels a painful feeling, she feels it detached. If she feels a neither painful nor pleasant feeling, she feels it 
detached. Detached doesn't mean that the practitioner doesn't feel the feeling. It simply means that she or he feels it without adding anything to it. One feels it without reacting to it, without going looking for that pleasant fix. One feels it without shooting the second dart at oneself. So how do we learn to be detached? One way is to first start by being conscious that pain is present and that we're reacting to it. This may seem like a, well, duh. When pain is somewhat intense, it's pretty hard to ignore. It's pretty hard not to know that it's present. But we reinforce our pattern of reacting to pain in the way that we respond to all the little discomforts that arise in our lives. The discomforts that precede the slight adjustments we make in our posture, the itches that we scratch, the thoughts or lack of thoughts that we react to by looking for some other kind of stimulus. These discomforts often fly under the radar. We just react and don't even notice that it happened. How often do you scratch an itch without really noticing that you're doing that? These little discomforts, though, are easier to work with than the big ones. So they're a good place to start. Once we learn to skillfully work with the little discomforts, then we're more prepared to begin to work with the big ones, the scarier ones. So recognize that pain is present. Recognize that there's an unpleasant feeling occurring. Once we do have that recognition, we can take that experience as our object of meditation. Now there's an idea, huh? One thing about pain is that even in small amounts, it's usually intense enough that we give it our attention. It holds our attention pretty well. So we turn our mindful attention to the experience of pain. Since it's mindful, that means 
that we're not reacting to it with aversion. So in this first moment, we've already begun to respond to pain in a different way. We're already changing our pattern with pain. As we hold pain with mindful attention, we can begin to be curious about it. Be curious about pain. That's really a different thing to do, isn't it? Be curious about it. Hang out with it for a while rather than trying to get away from it. Curiosity leads us to investigate pain. Just paying close attention. Looking to see what pain actually is. One of the first things we may notice is that there's a difference between the concept pain and the actual experience. If it's a pain in the body, we might notice a variety of sensations. Sharpness, stabbing, twisting, tightness, burning, vibrating, and so forth. If it's in the mind, we might notice very difficult images or thoughts arising, often in a repetitive pattern as though we can't get away from them. If it's emotional pain, we might notice agitation in the body, maybe a sense of heaviness, or some of the sensations that I've already mentioned. And with emotional pain, these body sensations are frequently found with thoughts as well, painful thoughts. Maybe memories of things that happened to us, memories of things that we did, or thoughts about things that might happen in the future. One of the interesting things about the concept of pain is that it actually holds us at some distance from the experience, the actual experience. As we get closer to the actual experience of pain, as we get up close so that we can see it and know it clearly, we often stop giving attention to the unpleasant feeling tone of the experience because we're putting so much effort into actually seeing the sensation that is there, that's arising and passing and changing.
And all of this effort to pay attention leads to an increase in concentration, which, of course, is a more pleasant quality of mind. With the painful thoughts, whether they're alone or part of an emotion, it can be useful to know that they are thoughts. This usually doesn't stop them, although sometimes it does. But it does help us to be more grounded in reality rather than being caught up in the content of the thought. And as a balance, a counterbalance for these painful thoughts, we can ground ourselves, turn our attention to the body. We turn attention to our pressure points, the contacts our body is making with the ground, with our chair, perhaps the places where our hands are touching each other. We focus on the qualities of our experiencing in the body. Heaviness, lightness, roughness, smoothness, hardness, softness. The experiences of heat, cold, of movement, and stillness and support. Being mindful of the body in this way is a really valuable skill to develop. As we continue to explore pain with curiosity, the sense of pain being something that is solid and enduring begins to break up. It breaks up because we're beginning to see it moment by moment. We're seeing how it changes. Maybe one moment it is tight, and then the next moment it's vibrating, and then in the next moment it's burning. So we see that it's changing, that it's different. And as we see this, and as, as we see the moments of pain passing away, pain begins to feel like it's not quite so overwhelming, not quite so scary to deal with it begins to feel as though it might actually be manageable, at least some of the time. And as Shyla pointed out, it's also important for us to notice when craving is present in relationship to the pain. And of course, this is what the Buddha's talking about 
in the Sutta on the Dark. Aversion towards the pain is a form of craving, a wanting it to go away, wanting to have a pleasant sensation instead. And so we have to let go of the craving. Not simply letting go of the craving. We have to let go of the idea that if I let go, then the pain will go away. Which is still a form of craving. We simply have to let go. So these are some of the ways to develop the ability to meet a painful feeling with detachment, with equanimity, with contentment. As we develop an ability to be present for the pain in our lives without getting caught in aversion, without running after some sweet, sensual experience. We are developing detachment, equanimity, and contentment. It's a skill that will be useful for us as we age, as we face illness, and as we move through the dying process. But maybe even more importantly, as we learn to meet pain with mindful attention and some equanimity, we're developing the ability to live our lives fully now without getting jerked this way and that by the mind's reactivity to pain. It's a worthwhile skill to develop, one that will contribute to our long-term welfare and happiness. I'd encourage you to work at it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.